0: This is The Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of The Ordinary Christian Podcast, Today with me on the podcast, I have Justin Whitmore Early. Justin is an author, a lawyer, a father, a husband. Uh, we've, I've asked Justin to come on the podcast specifically today to speak to us about his most recent book, Habits of the Household. It's a really wonderful book about how we can, uh, subtitle, Practice the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. I think it's valuable for anybody, but especially from a guy who's uh, trying to raise four boys and living um, the, the everyday struggle of, of boy life in a household while he's trying to build these rhythms in and teach these kids about Jesus. So Justin Whitmore Early, thank you so much for being with us on the Ordinary Christian Podcast.
1: You're welcome, Craig. I'm, I'm honored to be here.
0: Good deal. Well, listen, I, I know you've got four kids and a wife. You live in Richmond, Virginia. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your background?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am a business lawyer so I spend my days, you know, at, at a desk working on contracts and helping people negotiate sales of businesses, the acquisition of businesses, and all the other kind of contracts that go with it. Um, so that's my main job. But um, I, I began my career as a missionary in China, actually, with uh, with Campus Crusade. And and then th- that was about five years of my life before I went to, to law school. Um, and now I've got four boys and my wife, Lauren so and i run my own law practice now so my my you know i write about habits of the household it's my most recent book but i it's so important i think for everybody to know that i i really write from a messy household i mean like i i live a corporate lawyer's life of you know high, high demand clients and a a boy you know a father of four boy life where our house is messy there's lots of broken windows lots of broken stuff lots of fights to break up um pity my wife not me but, uh so you know, I love talking about this stuff because it's because I need it so bad, you know, not because I'm so good at it, because I, I need the, you know, the guardrails to guide me to the good life, which I essentially see Jesus teaching as they're, they, you know, they're, they're limits that limit us to certain rhythms that are actually the, you know, the best limits we need, we ever, you know, had or could have imagined. So I love talking about this stuff.
0: Cool deal. So your wife's named Lauren and you have four boys. How old are your boys?
1: My boys at the time of this recording are 10, 7, 5 and 3.
0: I think it's just really really good for our listeners to hear you're not riding from an ivory tower somewhere about town. You're in the trenches. You're in the trenches.
1: Maybe one day I'll get to the ivory tower. Right. Yeah,
0: you're walking, <laughs> you're you're riding with uh with with legos and uh, broken right. windows and baseball bats. So I um I've got two boys and two girls and uh, they all bring their different joys and challenges. But uh, I, yeah. too, have a broken window to repair at my house from a baseball Good that went, somehow missed the net. I said, why were we hitting a ball at the house? Well, Dad, it <laughs> wasn't what you think. I said, Great. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, hey, uh, Justin, will you sort of outline uh, for our listeners kind of the idea behind the book?
1: Yeah, it, it may help people to know that I wrote my first book called The Common Rule about habits and spiritual formation. And that came out of an anxiety crash that I had as a young lawyer, still a young lawyer, frankly. But what what happened to me is I went from being a missionary in China to feeling called to be a a corporate lawyer. And I ran at that calling with all the fervor of a missionary or a man on a call. But one thing that I really didn't address at the time was that, you know, your worldview and your beliefs – about what you're doing matter a lot, but so do the habits and rhythms and routines by which you go about that calling and I would say in retrospect that I sort of became converted to a nervous medicating lawyer by the habits and rhythms that I adopted in law school in my early law practice so it was out of a really really severe anxiety crash where that I started to wake up to the idea that our ordinary rhythms of life matter a lot and so and I call those liturgies um, you know people have different perspectives on liturgies or different experience with them. But what I mean by that habits functioning as liturgies is just that we have things we do every day that form us spiritually. For example, the way we wake up and look at our phone, or the way that we check the news or click on the radio, the way that we're attentive to screens, the ways that we talk to our kids or check in or check out of the house. These things function as liturgies of worship in, their li- in our life because they actually change who we are. And a lot of our worship comes through our attention. So I, I just did, I did all this thinking about how rhythms of work and technology and American busyness are really deeply spiritual matters and, and how our ordinary rhythms need to be aligned to the call of Jesus. It, a great couple of years writing about this, thinking about this, talking about this. And then w- one day I sort of woke up. I was like, you know what? This probably matters in my parenting too. And, and that, it, you know, there's a whole story to, to that. But the, this second book, Habits of the Household, is really looking at the ordinary rhythms in parenting and saying if our habits pave the way for who we are and our children, in a way, become who we are, then our habits of the household are just incredibly important, maybe the most important factor in our children's spiritual formation.
0: Yeah, you made reference to, uh, just, I think it's toward the end of the book, you made reference to waking up regularly and catching your dad reading his Bible.
1: Yes. yeah, that
0: Being an experience. You know, one of the, one of the things for me that I've always emphasized is for folks to read physical Bibles. Uh, I don't care if they're paperbacks mm-hmm. or leather bound, but to do that in their home and so that their kids can catch them reading. I want my kids to catch me in God's word. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I've got my Kindle in front of me, they have no idea if I'm, if they I am no idea. my Bible, right. if, I, if I'm looking at my phone I, for all they know, I'm playing, you know, Crossy road or whatever, whatever on my phone yes. or checking Twitter or, but when I've got that Bible in front of me, when I've got that journal laid out in front of me, they know what's happening in that in that moment. And it's it's in those those everyday, this the ordinary Christian podcast and those ordinary, everyday aspects of life that we we're being formed and that that we're forming our children. You know, we right. don't we don't form our children primarily in the you know one in one in 20 opportunities when we sit down and we have a face-to-face with them we form them in that's right 47 different times that you make reference regularly in here to discipline you know I had a broken window I felt like a winner I had a broken window at my house this week and man I, I won as a parent right my son comes yeah. in and says dad I, I broke a window and and I, I didn't respond with holy cow what do you mean you broke the window <laughs> I said, are you okay buddy <laughs> And he looked at me with these confused eyes. He said, did did I broke the window? And I said, are you okay? (laughs) But, but you're going to be mad. I said, buddy, you're not mad. I felt like I won so much, you know, that's good. That's beautiful. Right. But isn't that, isn't that where our kids are learning about how they respond, how they're going to respond. Right. And how they're hopefully, how their heavenly father respond.
1: I I couldn't agree more. And actually I've got a, a story very similar to that. I remember one day, I had come home as a teenager, uh, I would wrecked my dad's truck. And I remember calling him and telling him about it. And his first, his first sentence was almost exactly what you said. He was like, you can always fix a truck. You can always buy a new one, are you okay? And then I remember years later, <laughs> this was a couple of years ago actually, when my wife wrecked my car <laughs> twice in the same six months. And just the ability to, to say what I had heard my dad say, even though I wasn't feeling it yet, I just knew that was the right thing to say. And th- that knee jerk sort of reaction, that this is the idea of parenting, that, that we, we communicate a way of being just by living in front of them, that that is the most powerful thing that we do. And when we you know talk about Jesus, but don't live like Jesus, that's the greatest dissonance that we'll ever introduce into their life because we, we say things, you know, you should act patient and then our discipline reactions are just totally different. So I, I just love the idea of, I love the name of your podcast because I think the ordinary things are the extraordinary things and the small things are the, become the big things.
0: And, and- Look, it's it's so bad when the Lord awakens you to that because you recognize like the conviction that flows over me regularly, and then I have a, a beautiful wife whose greatest spiritual gift is to keep me humble, um, and so she loves to tell a story about me with my oldest son. He's he'll be fifteen uh, in a month and a half, and he'll probably wreck a car, and I've got to practice that conversation, you know. Um yes. but I, I uh, you know, in the in our our kitchen and. I don't even I have no idea what happened. I just remember I I have your 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 best quote in this book and it was so true for me. You said I don't so much lose my patience as I just get tired of keeping or no lose my temper as I just get tired of holding on to it or something like that. Yeah, yes, and yes, I remember yes. in that moment it was just and I I just raised my voice probably nearly screaming you've got to learn to control your emotions.
1: Yeah. The, the moment iron, right.
0: of me trying to discipline him my wife just busts out laughing and walks out of the room and she looks <laughs> like, She goes, do you understand that you have become
1: everything that, that he's just you that's what's happening yeah yes yes and this is the okay so one of the big deals here i think is that when you realize that you're normal your ordinary in the household is the most spiritually formative thing to your children you should be humbled. I mean, none of us are doing that well, right? So I want to make, that's why I started to try to say, like, I write from a messy household. I live from a messy life. I mean, I think one of the greatest things we're doing in our house, and my wife was really the one to start this, is asking forgiveness a lot. Because what I'm not trying to say is to my kids is, look, you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and live well. Watch me do it. No, I'm trying to say The core message of the gospel is that Jesus loves you despite all the bad things. And despite all the good things that you try to do, he loves us period. So no matter how today went, the dominant factor of the world and this house and of you in my heart is that Jesus loves us anyway. And that gives me the freedom to fail at the things that I know I should be doing and yet still communicate the gospel, whether it's in success or failure because it applies to both. And I think that's, really important just to know because people can think about habits in terms of self-help and efficiency and like, you know, ordering their household. And I'm, I'm telling you, like, it's not going to do any of that. Like raising kids is messy and being a parent is sanctifying precisely because it's so hard and messy, but that's the point that God is sanctifying us through being a parent. And it gives us constant opportunities to put the gospel on display in our good moments and in our bad moments.
0: Yeah, for for us, and last moment of uh, sort of biography, and then we're gonna get to the book because that's the reason I've actually been on here, but but for 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 us, for my wife and I, for Angela and I, you know, it was parenting in general, the process of adoption for us in like specific, and that that was our master seminar, doctoral seminar, postdoctoral, all the things in sanctification, Mm. you know, when we brought Mm. Uh, these two children into our home who were trying to learn to, to, to trust us and we're trying to learn to trust them and every all the chemistry is trying to bond and mesh and, and mm-hmm. instead like everybody's rubbing against each other. You discover that there's so much ugly in you that you wish wasn't yes. there. Right. Uh, right. But in that pressure cooker of your house, it leaks out. And uh, yes, um, and that's um, that's that's a hard, hard thing. But that just that message of apology, it just goes so far. Uh, it's so powerful um, that uh, it's, it's important, not just for our children, but for our spouses. I encourage folks in marriage counseling that y- you do something every day that deserves to be apologized for. And the more that we apologize, mm-hmm. the easier apology mm-hmm. becomes. Right. So um, that's good. Uh, and, and you know, that, that needs to be a, a part of our language with one another just a language of apology. All right. Enough about yeah. me. Let's talk about this book. So um, can yeah. we sum it up by saying y- your, your intention with the book is, to help us to live very intentionally in the small things of life to make big, big impacts. Is that is that close?
1: That'd be a perfectly fine summary. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, I, I think the, the, the message of the gospel that Jesus loves us and died for us and rose again for us, no matter what good or bad things we do can be embodied in rhythms of the household that help reinforce, communicate and enliven that message in ordinary, regular things it's important that we say it out loud. I mean, I was a missionary, right? Like I'm all about communicating with words, the gospel, but I'm also saying, I don't think that's the most important way we communicate it. I think living it is maybe the most important way we communicate it. Um, the greatest sermon we ever preached might be the way we live together is a quote from an author named Christine Pohl. So expanding on that idea is, is I affirm the way that you said it, these, these small things matter.
0: So, what are the habits uh, that uh, that you guys have begun to form, form around your home that you believe is making an impact on your boys?
1: Well, I go, you know, I start, when I set out on this project, I tried to think through ordinary moments of the day. So anybody who looks at the book will not it is not laid out in terms of big principles or a three point thesis. I'm a lawyer. I'm a fan of arguments and moving people towards a conclusion. But this this is set out in terms of ordinary moments of the day. So things we do at waking and mealtime and moments of discipline, screen time, bedtime, that, you know, ordinary stuff. Um, and I mean, I could dive in anyone that you want, but, but I will note that what you'll notice if you read the book is that there probably rhythms of prayer and scripture are some of the most important small markers of, of our day. The ways that my wife and I commit in rhythms together to wake up to scripture and prayer, the ways that we commit to have small, messy, Emphasis on small and messy touch points with our kids. Cause you're trying to get pray with four small boys. I mean, it, it looks as much like a wrestling match as it does a prayer. So, you know, we we're like, we're, we're doing these things at small points in the day, but th- those kind of rhythms punctuate our day. Um, and, and, you know, we could jump into any one of these habits that you want, but those are, those that's kind of the ordinary way that I'm thinking about the day.
0: Yeah. I told you uh, off, off air. I, I want to spend some time, especially with uh, meal time, uh, with your screen time stuff, but uh, one of the things that, for me, one of the the, the great values of of a parenting book um, is if I can walk away with a with some practical steps that I could I could put into place today. Those things are really great, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. and especially I, I read a lot. We were just talking about all the books stacked up behind me, but a lot of the folks who are listening to this don't have time to read as much as I read. And if they're going to pick up a parenting book, they want to know they're going to walk away with some really practical steps. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to figure out how to do these ordinary things. Um, and some of what you've given are things like uh, written out liturgies or written out prayers. Um, and I think you've done a really good job in this book of giving people permission to tuck your kids in bed at night and not not have a forty five minute prayer, but to pray over your children and to create these expectations of of prayer, expectations of liturgy. Explain a little bit about what that would look like at bedtime, because uh, I don't want us to get uh, run out of time and miss that. I think it's valuable. I think it's got immediate application.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was. I'm glad you brought that up because this was kind of my impetus to really start working on this book. I mean, bedtime at our house is as crazy as you think it might be with three to four boys. And so as, as I was living these moments, I realized I was just turning into an angry sort of taskmaster on a nightly basis, um, you know, just kind of yelling the, the boys to bed. And as I had a realization that this was my normal, right? This is what they're learning from me, is that the way that you control the world is through anger and yelling. Um, I was challenged by one of my pastors to, to try a bedtime liturgy, which sounds a lot more fancy than it is. What I started to do with my boys was this, was this prayer, which is a very short call and response. All they have to do is say yes <laughs> to every question until the end. What I say, can you see my eyes? This is like right before I walk out and turn out the lights. I say, can you see my eyes? They say, yes. I say, can you see that I see your eyes? They say, yes. Then I say, you know that God loves you. And they say, they say, I say, do you know that I love you? And they say, yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? They say, yes. Then I say, you know that I love you no matter what good things you do. And they say, yes. And then I say, who else loves you like that? And they say, God does. And this, this little call and response prayer, you know, it's hilarious the first time I do it, right? Because the whole thing about the, can you see my eyes and can you see that they, that was an invitation to poke eyes and blank eyes and like <laughs> they don't know the right answers, but but, you know, any, nothing's a habit until it is. And this was one of my experiences of, of – one of the unique things about a family is that you can make the weirdest things normal if you just do them over and over. Like, that's quintessential family tradition. You're like, oh, in our family we do this thing. And other people hear about it like, that's weird. But no, it's just totally normal to us. You can make really intentional, you know, short, beautiful prayers normal in your family just by saying them for a week or so at night. And uh, we did that, and, and I had that watershed moment like about a week later when one of the boys asked for this bedtime blessing. And I remember thinking, otherwise, this night was exactly the same. You know, there's, there's still the chaos, of bedtime, bath water on the floor, fights breaking out in the room. But what was so different about that night a couple of weeks later was me because, you know, the circumstances were, ex- were the same, but my reaction to them had changed because of the anchoring power of a habit or a liturgy. And that was that I was not driving anymore towards just being done and shutting the door. I was driving towards this moment of exchanging the love of Jesus for us, no matter what good or bad things we do. And that, you know, that prayer I think is beautiful because it gives kids the words of the gospel in a way that they can say over and over for the rest of their life. But it was also beautiful in the way that it changed my reaction to the evening. And we still do this, you know, um, many times a week. And I've got a bunch of other ones that I give in the book. And so, that's just one example of how introducing what I call a gospel liturgy into your household, which is a fancy way of saying just a healthy parenting habit, a healthy rhythm with your kids can be done, can be very simple and can be very profound. And
0: you make, the ref- you make this point, I think, repeatedly in the book, you're not the only person to ever make it, but you make it really good as it relates to our children, that our heart tends to follow our habits, You know, this is why somewhere along the way, you know, we were talking earlier, none of us create anything new as parents. We steal from everybody and somewhere along the way early in our parenting process, you know, we learned to tell our kids to coach our kids on the response that we wanted from them. Right. So, yes, when I ask right. them to do something, you know, then I, I immediately respond with what I want them to say. And we do this, you know, especially for infants and toddlers. And for goodness sakes, I, I still have to do it with a 14 year old occasionally. Absolutely. Um, That's right. But, you know, hey, can, can you go pick up your socks and say, yes, sir. Right. And th- those are yes. just, right. our ex- yes. th- just coaching them through the process, which yeah. is, is wonderful for them. It, it teaches them how to win. They they know what's expected. We create those guardrails for them. When they know how to win, then then they, they develop a greater trust for us as parents. They they know how to 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 I guess earn earn not I don't want to say earn, but but how to 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 bring satisfaction to us, and that's what they want. Mm-hmm. They want to make us happy. Mm-hmm. They want to please their parents. just like we want to please others. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I just appreciate that you're you're coaching them up in these prayers, walking them through that, teaching them what it looks like. And then over time, our children's hearts follow these habits that we've created. For that's them.
1: right. You're right. That's
0: right. So you're right I, I think it.
1: there's just a, a <laughs> yeah. well, you said it well, too. There's just a really important paradigm here because I think that somewhere in the mix of American and Western ideas of freedom that, that I grew up in, that we all grow up in, I, we, I assume that the spontaneous reaction is the most true one i think you know some disney had something to do with teaching me this i assume that following my heart is actually the way to the good life until you realize you know what the bible thinks of your heart and what god thinks of your heart then you realize it is most dangerous and deceitful above all else right as the bible says um and that really the way to the good life is to follow healthy patterns that are given for you and watch your heart grow up into those patterns and that is just like playing the piano or learning to swing a baseball bat, you just have to do the fundamentals, scales, the tempos, the practice swings over and over until you hit that moment when you're like, "Oh, I can improvise! Oh, I can turn in on that fastball!" And that's what we call freedom, you know, freedom that comes out of the beauty of practice. And I think that is the gospel freedom that we're trying to give our kids, not the confidence and the ability to, you know, honey, or, you know, son, be whatever you want. You know, you can do whatever you want. It's like, no, this is the good way to live. And hopefully somewhere towards the end, when I'm going to turn you loose to the world, you realize how to improvise on the goodness, the truth and the beauty of the gospel and own it and love it for yourself. That's the paradigm for parenting, right? That's what God does for us. So I think that these things are just so important. I mean, far from being like dead or rote liturgy, It's the idea of we get the gift of teaching our kids the fundamentals of how to be a human being, of how to love God and love other people. It is that EQ, that sort of spiritual intuition of what it means to love is hands down the most important thing we will ever communicate to them. So it's worth being intentional about.
0: One of the things, so uh, that, that you guys, in addition to these sort of bedtime, you even have a sort of some wake up liturgies, which I think is helpful, but you talk about the importance of mealtimes and and not just mealtime yeah, as a family, yeah. you've explained mealtime as a household. Talk to us about how that's helping you to form your children and what what's what's happening at these mealtimes.
1: Mealtimes is a great place to look at this because if you the the, the habit here, so just talk in terms of the concrete habits, the habit. To parents is to invite you to, you know, regularly have at least one meal a day together. So by that, I mean, like, you know, aim for four weekdays a week, you know, maybe you got sports practice one day, but like four meals a week where you're sitting down and actually having dinner together. So it's like so simple to say, right. But it's so helpful to realize how radical this is in practice. Because what, what that assumes is that, you know, someone is doing the heavy lift of preparing, shopping, and planning meals. So, uh, people are trying to get home or get back from practice or get back from school. You got to organize getting all these people to the table, which in my house is no small feat, you know, like everybody's starving until 10 minutes before dinner. And then they realize they want to go play with something. Um, and then, you know, you know, again, if your house is all at all like mine, I mean, you sit down at the table and uh, there's distractions during the prayer. Somebody is holding someone's hand too tight. You know, we're fighting over who gets what first there's a spill every, you know, third minute. <laughs> um, we're, we're talking about how they don't like food or they don't, it's just the idea that we're having like deep, meaningful conversation with the 10, seven, five, and three-year-old is approximated at best. Um, and then you're left with all this mess and you got to do it again. Right. So I always try to tell people, I'm not telling you to do this because it's easy. I'm telling you do, to do this precisely because It goes against all the other cultural currents of let's let busyness define our schedule. Let's eat in front of the TV. Let's do microwave dinners. Let's not talk because talking's hard. And saying, no, actually, like just on an ordinary Tuesday evening, you're orienting your schedules around community. The table is the place where we commune together. Just on an ordinary Tuesday evening, you're praying together and you're realizing that, yeah, holding hands is hard, figuring out how to live in a close space together as a family does is hard. You're learning that it's better to, uh, you're teaching your kids that it's better to say thank you and I appreciate what you made for me instead of saying, I don't like spinach. Or you're teaching them how to share about their day, which by the way, is one of the greatest arts of human life to be able to communicate what you experienced that day or at that meeting or at that place to someone else. Just the practice of telling a story from your day, radical, like radical ability to communicate. How are you feeling? How was your day? And, and and then to forgive and clean up after each other and to all pitch into the housework. It is astounding how many gifts and virtues of the human life lived unto God and unto neighbor are taught simply by coming together for a meal. So my advice is just understand that this ordinary rhythm is one of the most extraordinary things that you'll do as a parent. Lean into it and all its mess. Lean into all the mess because beauty is happening there.
0: Um, and so let's we can even step away and look at some <clears throat> Excuse me, just um, practical things that come from outside of church experiences, outside of Christian experiences. Christian live life. Just the world teaches us that p- families who eat family meals together have children who graduate high school at higher rates, who have lower. Yeah, rates. there's
1: really interesting stats. Right? They, on this. they don't. Yeah.
0: They don't get pregnant as teenagers. They delay sex. Right. They, all of right. these things happen, and it, and it's so. Um, but you know, it, I. If, if you're listening to this and you don't do that at your house, now we do it at mine and it's a nightmare. Um, you, you <laughs> said, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you a story about, I'm going to give you my week in just a minute and explain why this is hard for us. You, you made a point, I believe in, in, uh, in your, your chapter on mealtime that you said, we've decided that on this particular night, rather than allowing the business of the world to control our family, we've decided that family mealtime is going to be the thing that we plan everything else around. Yeah. And, right. and look, that's the ideal that we don't always arrive at. Like you can do that yes, until right. your kid starts playing school sports and then everything gets crazy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, March is the busiest month of the year for us right now. Um, we've got four kids in four sports. Um, you know, I've got a kid that's finishing volleyball, a kid that's playing baseball for the high school, a kid that's playing little league ball, a kid that's playing tennis, plus we have got the church schedule. There are nights right now when we're supposed to be in three places. Picking up three children all at the same time, right. family mealtime's hard. But you know we're willing we're willing to rob everybody of some other things. Sometimes bedtime gets delayed at our house so that we can finish the day around the table. You know, right. one right. kid gets picked up from baseball practice and volleyball practice. Two kids have already had a shower, but we're still going to gather around, and the, the the we love it when there's a three course meal. But sometimes family dinner time, mealtime around the table is a sandwich. Sure, That's not the ideal. But as you continue, when you make it, when you make it, and if if, if you have young kids, like really young kids right now, let me just encourage you to make it the the goal. Because when you do, you don't have to fight to get your 15-year-old to the table. Your 15-year-old's happy to sit at the table and to have a meal with his nine-year-old brother. And there's great joy because... Justin, what you don't fully appreciate yet, but you're going to in a few years, is that the adult conversations with your children are just around the corner, mm-hmm. and you get mm-hmm. to enjoy the fruits of those really great conversations at 13, 14, and 15 years old because you did the hard work of not great conversations at nine years old or at four Amen. years old, you know? Yes. we're teaching, We're even teaching our kids healthy eating habits, right? Um they, yeah. they see they see us sit down and eat Brussels sprouts and they have to at least try a Brussels sprout on their plate. Some kids go, oh, turns out I like these things, you know. That's right. That's the, right. The yeah. peer pressure is is in a positive direction. Um, so you, you talked about that. You talked also just about family meal time versus
1: the household. Tell me what you mean by that. The household, there's a reason that it's going to happen to the household, and that happens to the family or the home. Which, Because the, the biblical concept of the household is much broader than the nuclear family unit. And is and, this
0: because you're like super liberal and you're pushing to destroy the nuclear family?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly okay. what I'm asking. I just wanted to make sure we were clear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Now, it's, it's, you know, the bonds created between a husband and wife and your immediate children are just phenomenal. And if you break that up, you topple the fundamental unit of the, the, that the world is built on. Um, but it is also important to realize that just like the blessing, you know, was supposed to flow through Abraham to the world, you know, and the, the blessing is never supposed to stop with us. The blessing of a nuclear family unit is supposed to radiate outward. And I don't think that a family is, I think a family is necessary, but not sufficient for, for embodying Christian community. Uh, You know, a family should also be plugged into a church. A family should also be serving their neighbors. A family should also have open doors to all the poor, the needy, and the lonely who wish they had a family or have lost their family. And so one of the big values in our household that we're, you know, we're trying and approximating and failing is just having the, the metaphorical idea of an extra seat at our dinner table. And literally there always is an extra seat, but it's just the idea that, you know, every Thursday we've got our Friend drew who's you know almost 40 single and you know no kids he, he comes to our family dinner you know and he's sort of a part of our family we, we have regular evenings where we open up we have bigger family dinners with my extended family that, just the, the idea that you create these rhythms in the family they don't stop with the family they help you go out and be missional to the world both by leaving the table and inviting the world into your table
0: and you point out in, in your book that those those household meals, those family meal times, those time around the table is different than entertaining. You know, sometimes opening our door is hey, there's enough chicken if you want to come, but just know you're yeah, walking into right. a nightmare. You know, that's right. Yeah. There's gonna be there's gonna be a mess, there's gonna be bath time. The dog hasn't been bathed in four weeks. You know, right, just right. know what you're walking into. But there's, there's authenticity, and, and there's real Christian life
1: and real ministry that takes place when we invite people into our mess. I, that's hospitality, inviting them into your mess. Um, entertaining is when you hide the mess, hire a babysitter, and dress fancy. There's a place for that. Um, mm-hmm. Hospitality is the ordinary thing. The hospitality is the ordinary thing that becomes the extraordinary thing. And you do that in your mess. You know, I get, I get comfortable inviting people over and the laundry basket's still beside the dinner table. That's okay.
0: Yeah right, we're we're running short on time, and I, I don't want to let you get out of here without uh, without having you really drill us on screen time. Your short, your wife yeah. had a, just a wonderful quote that you gave in the book related to screen time and how you guys are managing that. You want to share just a little bit of that before we finish up today?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is a great one to end on because it just we are all adolescents when it comes to screen time. Okay, because mm. the devices that we use are a mere 12, 13 years old. When you think about the, the iPhones, smartphones, the, the advent of streaming media, we're all adolescents. So parents, parents need to think about how screens are forming them as much as they need to worry and wring their hands about how screens are forming their kids. So wh- some of the most important things I think Lauren and I practice as parents are habits like scripture before phone, turning our phone off an hour each day, We've we've chosen you know, not to have a TV in our living room, but to have it upstairs in a, in a guest room where we have to go, you know, intentionally go there to watch something. And these are just small ways for us to to prioritize, you know, mornings in the Word over morning scrolling me- social media. Prioritize presence with the family in the evening by just having our phone off and away. The, so I I just don't. I say this first because I want to encourage parents to think a lot more about what they're doing and how kids are watching you use your screens. Like think about if you're going to worry about something, worry about that. I don't want you to worry at all. Actually. I, I I want you to realize that Jesus loves you and his love should change the way that you use screens, which by the way, Craig is a summary of this whole conversation. Habits don't change God's love for us. Period. God's love for us can and should change our habits. That's why we care about all this stuff. So I don't want you to worry about it. I just want you to think about it and think about how being a disciple to Jesus should change your use of screens. And then after you consider that, you know, think about that screens are maybe the most formative thing in your household. I mean, if, if you don't form the way that you use screens in your house, then screens will in turn form everything about your house. So, which is why my wife, Lauren, calls it a fight for formation and i and i couldn't agree more because she acknowledges before young boys the fight to manage screen time is is kind of like it's a fight like you're you're constantly you're setting limits fight. yeah yeah i mean like you every every parent knows this like and, but, but I to think take the ipad away i know it, but ahead. i
0: think it's so important to say that because so many people that hear this go well y- your situation is not like mine my, my wife doesn't, uh, my kids are all in school. She was home with them Monday and Tuesday out of school. And I came right. in and I was aggravating her. I knew the answer to the question, but I said, so how much TV have y'all watched today? And she yes. said, zero, right? I, I knew that's her, but I also know that for her to do that meant that she didn't get a break from, Yeah. Right, right, right. you know, right. she ended up baking s- cookies with each kid separately to do what they wanted to do. It was all this stuff that went on. But there's still like there's still regular arguments and fights. Are we going to watch TV that's today? Right. Is it it's, it's Monday? Are we watching TV on Monday? You never let us watch TV. You know, th- like that's happening in your house. <laughs> it's happening in mine. Other people it's that hear fight. this, go, well, yeah.
1: it's different for you. It's not. We're still having the same. No, fight. no, no, no. If, look, it, it is hard to set limits for kids. I mean, they're always going to want another scoop of ice cream. They're always going to want another hour of screen time. And they're always going to throw a fit when they don't because they're children. Right. And I know that it is easier for you and me and everyone in the world just to give in. I know it's way easier to let an iPad babysit your kids so you can chill for a minute. The problem is, is that that means it's easy for you and your kid is falling off the map into all kinds of what I would call malformation. And that's the opposite of godly parenting. Godly parenting is when the parent says, I'll take the pain so that my kid can enter into the good life. I mean, think about abortion, right? It's the exact opposite. It's saying I'll kill my kid because I want an easy life. I mean, it's the, it's the anti-parent, right? It's a, it's the, the gospel, what Jesus did for us is exactly the opposite. I will die so that you can live and you can take the, that beautiful paradigm and say, look, that's applicable to parents in every small little moment that I got to do the hard thing of explaining to you why you can't watch another show. So that you can enter into the beautiful life, I die a small dust, so that you can live. Um, that's that's good discipline. That's good habits. And and it, Greg is totally applicable to screen time. I mean, you've got to fight to form this. But I just say, you know, what is worth forming more? I mean, if we don't teach our kids about sex, screens will gladly do it for them, and it's it's going to be the most dangerous thing they've ever seen and learned. If we don't kids teach our kids that God made them. You know man or woman black or white, and loves them as such, and made them on purpose that way, then screens will confuse all these categories. if we don't teach them about nature, then screens will will teach them that it's good enough to look at pictures of it. If we don't teach them that embodied friendship is the way of the good life, screens will teach them that they can click and like their way to endemic loneliness. It's just the list goes on, and this is not to scare people, it's just to say this is probably one of the most important things you're doing as a parent. so just take these rhythms seriously and and I'll close with that idea because I think rhythms are more powerful than rules, you know. So the way that we think about this is not like you've had your 2 hours of screen time for the week, so no more. It's it's rather, you know, we always watch a movie together on Friday. They always watch a movie with their cousins on Sunday. We tend to play Nintendo Switch together on Tuesday. And like those are great little anchor rhythms of the week. But then when it's Monday or when it's Wednesday or when it's Saturday, you know, we're doing other stuff and, and they know that. So if they say, can we watch a movie tonight? I'm like, is it Friday? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, what are we doing tonight? They're like, you know, I guess it's Wednesday. It's family devotion night and kids, kids pick up on these rules. So you do the hard work to set the rhythms and they found themselves and they find themselves swept in this beautiful current of presence and community and actually going outside and all this stuff. And, it's, it's just one of the most glorious things that you can do for them. And then when you do have those screen times, and there's plenty of it, right? You pick um, carefully. You, 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 know, you choose things that are good, true, and beautiful. And ideally, you watch them together, which to me is a lot more important than appropriateness. But you know, we could spend all day on that. But I think those are the key, those are the key things that people need to pick up.
0: Yeah. I would love to to pick your brain a little more on that. Uh, but I, I know that you've got schedules to keep and I do too, uh, man, I am so appreciative of you, um, coming in and having this conversation with me. Will you tell our folks where they can get your book and where they can learn more about you?
1: Yeah, you can find the book on the, the internets and all, you know, every, every place where books are sold. Hopefully you can find habits of the household or the common rule. If you want to think about this on a more individual kind of work technology level, but, um, yeah, yeah. Google me, Justin Early, E A R L E Y, and you can find my website with. Um, don't tell my publisher, but a lot of these, you know, habits are on the website. You can just sort of read about them for free, and or or order the book and read about them more. But you can find me there. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I, I always. It might take me a while, but I always respond.
0: Justin Wilmer Early, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. And thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully you can take these things and apply them in the ordinary rhythms of your everyday life. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.